0: All right, so if you've got a Bible, go to Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six is where we'll be this morning.. That's it. Um, in Christendom today it, it's diffi- it seems like a difficult task to, to try to delineate um, and define what the gospel is because we've got a lot of churches, we've got a lot of organizations and a lot of people that say things that, that are gospel centered. We're go- we're doing the gospel. How many of you guys have ever heard that, that phraseology where people say we're doing the gospel and a lot of people think that feeding the poor is what the gospel is. Um, visiting the orphans and the widows. This is the gospel. Um, other people will say that many churches in America, and I use those that, that word in air quotes, churches in America today have very large bankrolls, and they make it a priority to give money away. There's, there's churches that are just within two hours distance of this church that give away millions of dollars every year to the poor, that help the poor and, and get them the, the, the things that they need and, and the people say, man, it's amazing to see the gospel in action. It's amazing to see that happen. And they, they put that on, on their social media pages and and they they make sure everyone sees these things. And they say, we're doing the gospel. Now, I'm not the guy that wants to stand up here and say that these things in and of themselves are bad. It's not wrong of us to help the poor. It's not. It's not wrong of us to visit the widows and the orphans and to take care of the widows and the orphans. It's not wrong of those. It's not, it's not bad. They're, they're not. But what I'm saying is that this is not the primary mission of the church or of pastors. Many have fallen into this line of thinking that the church's primary job is some sort of a social gospel. And the pastor is to be the leader of this social gospel movement um, where we talk about the things we've mentioned above. Now, like I said, I'm not saying that serving and taking care of widows and orphans and feeding the poor and, and giving money to those that are in need are wrong. Those are not wrong. But what compels us to do this? What is the thing that is to compel us to do that? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what is to compel us to do these things. And if we're not preaching the gospel to them and, and, and giving them spiritual truth of God's word, but we're giving them money and we're feeding them, we're just temporarily taking care of a really, really bad situation that they are in. We're not giving them eternal hope. We're giving them a... a portion of hope but we're not giving them the real hope of the gospel feeding the poor is worthless if they don't know Jesus visiting the widows and the orphans without telling them the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ is actually cruel when we were commissioned when the church was commissioned by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 we were told exactly what to do Jesus said in Matthew 28 starting in verse 18 it says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. The primary job of a church, the primary job of a pastor or elder, is to be the under-shepherd of the flock that God has given him charge of. Until Christ returns. First Peter chapter five verses two through four says shepherds or shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those who are in, are in your charge, but being an example to the flock. and when the chief shepherd appears, you shall receive, The unfading crown of glory. The pastor's primary job as a shepherd is to feed the flock and tend the flock of God. He is to preach the word. He is to preach the word. This is his primary job. And we live in a church culture that places a high emphasis on worship People will say things like, oh, the worship was absolutely outstanding this morning. And most of the time, 98% of the time, they're referring to the music portion of the service. And most of the time, the music that is brought forth is shallow and lacks solid biblical doctrine. So I'm thankful that Lucas has brought um, good. I mean, if you read those words, you read the words that we were singing, they were based in biblical truth. So I'm thankful to the Lord that that has happened this morning. And so... And just FYI, I didn't tell Lucas what to sing. I didn't tell him, hey, you're going to do these songs. That I gave him free reign to do what he wanted. So I'm thankful to the Lord that he did that. Um, but the emphasis of the modern worship service and the modern church in the worship music is me focused. If you look at modern worship today, mo- modern songs today, the songs are focused on me and what Jesus can do for me and my needs and it's never talking about the broken estate of man and how Christ is to be glorified for doing what he's done on our behalf it, it is using I guess as I've said before Jesus as a genie in a lamp um, when, so the reality is worship is never to be focused on me or you but rather worship is to be pointed towards Jesus as he is to receive all glory that is due his name it just is but that being said, most music is—that's—that's that's not the primary platform for worship. The primary platform uh, that is needed. Is the preaching of God's word. Martin Luther said the highest form of worship is the preaching of God's word, and the primary emphasis of a church service and it, what a church does is to preach God's word to the masses. That is what we're called to do. So I, I want to. I said, remember, I told you in the beginning. Go to Acts chapter six. That's that was all sort of an intro. We're going to be in Acts chapter six this morning. We're going to look at the first seven verses of Acts, and so I'm just going to read this, and then we'll unpack. full of the spirit and full of wisdom whom will whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose stephen a man full of faith and of holy and and of the holy spirit and philip and prochi prochius goodness gracious and night man, I just, I still, I'm struggling with these names. Nychar- Nycharo and Timon, and pardon. I'm just, th- I'm just thankful, no, You all have names like this. I got, we got PJ, we got, I mean, we got Ronnie, we got, we got, we got na- easy names in here. Um, Parmias and Nicholas, um, a proselyte of um, Anatok. These they sat before the apostles and said, and they, I'm sorry, and they sat before the apostles and they prayed and they laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So in this text, we have this mention of this group of people called the Hellenists. They were the Hellenist Jews. They were a group uh, that consisted of Um, A group of Gentiles who spoke mainly the Greek language. Their mother tongue was the Greek language. And so they came and settled in Jerusalem. And in in contrast to the Hebrews, the, the Jewish Hebrews, Christians, they spoke almost exclusively Aramaic. So you have two different cultural differences already. You've got those that speak Greek and have a a Greek, and you have those that speak Arabic, and you've got two cultural differences. But they've come together under one roof, and they're worshiping Jesus together. And and so we've got a potential here for a church split, don't we? We've got a problem in the beginning here. We've got a group of Hellenists. These Christians have come into the group, and they say, listen, our widows aren't getting the daily distribution of food that's needed. So you throw all these different people into the church, and everyone has an opinion. It's like putting two Baptists in a business church business meeting. You'll always come out with three opinions. Those so, okay, all right. Yeah, for, for those that get that, to check with Tyler. I'm pretty sure Tyler got that. If this we'll just keep going. Um, So they said that their group of widows is not getting the proper portion of food, of the distribution of food. So they were demanding that the church leadership do something. Well, this is why it's helpful and and good to have elder-led government in church. So the elders meet and they determine that the primary ministry of the elders and the shepherds is to feed the flock of God, the word of God. But thank God they had discernment enough to understand that this was not or that this was needed in the church. Now, what we're going to see in the text here is a type of the office of deacon that comes into play. This isn't the full fledged opening, say, hey, this is what deacons are. That comes later in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Um, we get a, an unpacking of the office of deacon. But the idea, deacon, just means to serve, it, it means a, a, to wait tables, to be a servant. That's what deacon means. The original grouping of words for deacon means, like I said, to serve tables. That's the reason you see in the text where they say, it's not for us to stop preaching and to go serve tables. That's, that's not it. So, this man is to be a godly man of good reputation, a man of honorable reputation that is wise in his dealings and has a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and his job is to serve So that the elders can do their jobs as um, the preachers and the proclaimers of God's word. They can stay the course and preach God's word well. And consequently, the deacon is to serve under the leadership of the elders or the under shepherds. So each office in the church has a purpose and a reason for being. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the idea is that preaching the word of God is the primary objective of pastors. So we go a little bit further into this idea in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we have a very clear mandate from God in the text. He says, Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living of the of the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teachings. Now. Paul, in this text, is telling young Timothy that he, as a pastor, is to stay the course and don't waver from your commitment to preach the word to the flock of God that's been given to him. Now, if you, if you do a little history on this, Timothy looks like he possibly may have been doing some wavering in his commitment to preaching the word. And so, Paul comes out with this declaration, listen, preach the word, preach the word, don't, don't waver in this commitment. This we as, we as pastors are responsible for those that are under our care. Like this is a weight on me. Like I said this morning, I stand here in all that God has allowed me to even stand here. I do not deserve to be here and the weight that is on me as a pastor to, to relay spiritual truth to the congregation can sometimes, without God's help, can be crushing. And we as pastors are to expound on the text as the Holy Spirit guides us and we are to show from God's word what God's will is what God's mandates are and this is why Paul says I charge you I I, I charge you in the presence of God he throws literally a proverbial gauntlet down to young Timothy and tells him that, as you and I stand before God, I charge you to do what God's called you to do. Don't waver in your commitment to the word. You are going to be judged for what you do in this office, Timothy. Pastors will be judged more strictly for the office that they hold. Elders and pastors are going to be judged on a stricter basis. Period. And my heart hurts for so many churches in this area. And I've preached all over the country and and by and listen, I am by no means a great theologian. I am not I'm not a guy I'm not a guy like John MacArthur, RC Sproul or Vody Bach. I'm not one of these great theologian guys, but I know the gospel. I know the gospel of the, of Jesus Christ and I know how to proclaim that boldly. And And I I can say, nine times out of ten, when I've gone places and I've preached and I've stood behind this sacred desk and I've unpacked the text, I get done, I come down off of the podium and I shake hands and hug people and talk to people, they say, nine times out of ten. Man, that was, we haven't heard preaching like that in a long time, Caleb. My standard response is, that's sad. That's heartbreaking. Because pastors are to be able to proclaim from the platform, the Word of God. Pastors are to preach the Word, not tell fun, exciting stories all the time about their lives and then try to give some sort of a spiritual emphasis. They are to proclaim God's Word. So Timothy, Paul gives Timothy in, in this text, number one, he says, preach the Word. This is the primary job of a Pastor. He is to open the text, read the text, expound upon the text, and be consistent in this. That is his number one job. Number two, in season and out of season. The pastor must preach the word when it's popular and when it's unpopular. He must preach when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. He must be faithful to the text at all times. And there are going to be seasons in life and times when it's not popular to stand behind this desk, open the book, and say, thus saith the Lord. Amen? There's, like we live in a culture right this moment that that is we're in. We're seeing that. In this very moment. Not popular to open the Bible and teach men and women that they're sinful and that they need to Repent. I told our Sunday school class, I had a conversation with a guy yesterday and he wanted to argue and debate with me that Joel Osteen and Joyce Myers were solid biblical teachers. And I just like frustrated by this conversation that I, I kept coming back saying, no, not biblical. Motivational speakers, yes. Pastors, no. What are pastors to do? They're to teach the word in season and out of season. It is not the pastor's job to stand behind the pulpit and tickle their ears and tell them how they can have their best life now. But the truth is that we are to be ready to unpack God's word at all times. Like, anyone that's a pastor should be able to give the gospel. What is the gospel? Whoop, boom death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Just spout that out quickly and be able to back it up with scripture. In season and out of season. That's number two. Number three, reprove and rebuke. Now this is the negative side of preaching, but some, but most times is often needed. There is going to be a time and a place when a pastor is going to have to confront sin. A pastor who does not confront or preach on sin is himself in sin. Doug Wilson once said, people can listen to their pastor call out other people's sins all day long, but the mark of a church with a spine is where the sermons provoke the sins of those that are in the pews. Oof. We as pastors are to rebuke, confront, and call sinners to repentance. That's part of it. And if we don't do that, we are disobeying God. So that's number three. Number four is to exhort. This is the teacher train. This would be the positive side. Pastors are to be the church's primary teacher. Pastors are to be the leaders who drive the church as the Holy Spirit drives them. Like, that's my job as the pastor here, is to drive the, the theology of this place. And if I'm not grounded and based in the Word of God, it can get a little crazy. Been there, done that, seen that. John chapter 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. Pastors are to sanctify, saturate our people in the truth of God's word. We are to teach men and women the truth of God's word. We are to be set apart, sanctified. That's what sanctified means is to be set apart by the preaching and the proclamation of God's word. That, that's what we're called to do. And then he ends it, in step, number five, with complete patience and teaching. Now, I don't know if you, there's several, it got downloaded a lot yesterday, but I had a conversation with my wife on our podcast that we do, and one of the things that I, as a pastor, we t- reflected on being a pastor and being a pastor's wife for the last two years, and... Not every member of this church is on the same spiritual level as everyone else. And pastors, I must be patient. Now, I, as your pastor, stand before you publicly and say that sometimes I'm not. And that's a sin that I need to repent of and I need to work through by studying God's word and letting God's word bear its weight on me. But we as pastors are to be patient. Listen, You guys aren't projects to me. None of you in this room are projects to me. You're human beings with souls. So I as the pastor do not become frustrated easily. Why? Because Jesus shows patience to me when I need to have patience shown to me. So therefore, I as the under shepherd of this place must show patience. So I'll stand here publicly and where I have not demonstrated patience I apologize and I repent publicly to everyone in this room because there's been seasons and times when I haven't been. And so I'll I'll publicly apologize for that. But this doesn't mean that we excuse sin. But what it does mean is we walk in a manner that shows our goal is to see men and women redeemed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I'm working on what I'm working on so that I can be proven right, then I am in sin. My earnest heart level hope is to present the truth of God's word. And then let the word of God bear its weight on you In the hopes to see that God transforms your heart and consequently your life. Because when your heart is transformed, your life will be transformed as well. Oh dear brothers and sisters, this is my heart level desire. To see the word of God proclaimed and preached in this place. This is the mechanism that God has chosen to redeem mankind back to himself. Because of God's word being proclaimed and preached, we are granted access to faith. Like I said, one of these days I'm going to get in here and we're going to to put it on the back of this Romans 10 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. This is the way we, this is the mechanism as to how we gain faith. Think about that. None of us in this room deserve access into God's throne room. We are all wretches who fall short due to our sin nature that is within us. But for some reason, God has saw fit to come and to draw men and women to himself for his own glory, his own purposes, and his own good pleasure. Why then should we not preach and proclaim this word? This should encourage us all more than ever to know that god is sovereign over all things that includes you that includes me and he wins and he gets the ones that he needs to get amen he does so we we as followers of christ must hold true to this hold fast to this and then when the church heard this so that so the 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 elders get together and say listen it's our job to preach, but man, we know that these people need to be served. We know that these people need to be ministered to. We know that every one of these people need to have ministry done in their lives. And so they chose these men. And verse 5 says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And they chose seven Different men. Remember, the number seven is the number of completeness. It's number seven. And so, because of the leadership of the elders in the church, strife was avoided. I mean, this could have potentially been problematic. People not being served, people not getting what they feel. How many of you have ever been in a church where you felt like you weren't being served and you felt sort of kind of jilted? And so you get your hackles up? This potentially could have had problematic issues, but as the elders were led by the Holy Spirit, they go in. And they say, "Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to oh, we're going to we're going to start this office. We're going to build. We're going to lay out this office. This this helper. This guy that's going to serve these seven men." So we see that the the office of deacon to begin to have, take shape and be brought forth. They chose. These seven men, they laid hands on them, they prayed over them, they sent them out to serve in this capacity. And as a result of that, in in verse 7, man, the word of God continued to increase. Now look, the enemy wants to try to separate and divide and get people mad at each other. That's his his goal. He loves to get people mad at each other. But when you've got a church that's led by men that, that love the Lord Jesus Christ, and they find a biblical solution. Look what happens. The word of God continued to increase and a number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Not only those, but look at this. A great many of the priests. So, Orthodox Jewish priests were seeing and hearing the word of God proclaimed and their hearts were being set aflame and they were becoming obedient to the faith. When we're obedient to God's commands and when we're faithful to preach the word... We, when we are faithful to follow God's directions, there's blessings that follow. Blessings will flow forth when we're obedient to God. And then consequently, you'll see men and women redeemed to him. Isaiah chapter 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things that for which I sent it out. Listen, it is never a bad idea to preach God's word. It is never a bad idea to follow God's mandates. And when we follow God's word and follow God's mandates, we win like We will win in, like, listen, it might cause strife in your life for a little bit. You might, like, listen, we live in a season, you might get thrown in jail for following God's word. But that's okay. You win in the end. Amen? You get Christ and he's more than enough. Like, God, because of this, It's God who does the saving. Like, here's the thing that happens in churches a lot of times. We as pastors put this pressure on us that if I can just say the right words, then somebody's going to have their life changed by one sermon. It's not my job to save you. It's not, I don't have the ability to save you. Like, if you're trusting in me to save you, you're in trouble. (laughs) Like, you're in trouble. God is the one who does the drawing. God is the one who does the saving. Not me. It's God who does all the heavy lifting. All that pastors are required to do is to be faithful, to preach the word. And as a result of that, God will be glorified in this. God will be glorified. And so we we see this beauty in the text that, that when we see men and women be obedient, or sorry, you see men being obedient to follow God's direction in the text, the church flourishes. It's when you get outside of I know you got this. I know God's word's here, but yeah. I'm going to step out here and do this. That's when things get nasty. That's when things turn weird. And you and you move from having a gospel-centered presentation and a gospel-centered worship service to a man-made motivational seminar that makes you feel like a rock star when you leave. And then by the time you get in the car, it's gone. Like, listen, I can convince a lot of people in this room to do a lot of things. But by the time you leave the front door, you can have your mind changed. But if the Holy Spirit convinces you, ain't nobody talking you out of that. The Holy Spirit convinces you. Nobody's changing your mind. So what do we need to do? We need to be faithful. God's word does not return void or empty. It. it It shall accomplish what it has been set out to accomplish. It'll succeed in the things for which I sent it. Know that if we just stand firm on God's word, we don't need another program. We don't need another seminar. We need God's word. And God's word is the thing that's going to transform our lives. God's word is going to thing that's going to even like, like I said, as I'm preparing this sermon this week, man, it it the weight of it even crushed me. That's a good thing. The weight of God's word crushing your pastor and seeing the sin in my own life and I can repent of that, man. That's a blessing from God. But some of us who just like you read it and you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, I see that, but I. I don't want to repent. I'm just going to do my own thing. And you need you need a heart check. It could be that you're not saved. It could be. It's never a bad idea to preach God's word. And as a result, God is glorified. God is glorified and people are redeemed when we're faithful to the text. Let's do that. Let's continue in this to be faithful to God's word. Be faithful to God's word. Like I said, I'm I am overwhelmed by the the love that I have been given in this place. That I'm able to stand here is a testament of God's mercy. And I am thankful to Him, grateful to Him, thankful for this place, thankful to these people who have cheered us on, who have stood with us, prayed with us, laughed with us, cried with us. And I want you guys to know I love you. I love you. And I don't say that lightly. I don't just say it. You know, We throw that word around. I love pizza. I love root beer. We, we throw that word around a lot. I want you all to know, I genuinely, from my deepest parts of me, love you. I love you. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for the morning. Thank you that you have chosen to save a wretch like me. As Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I am a debtor. I am a debtor. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm unashamed of that, Father. God, I just my heart aches and my heart is has a desire to see men and women saved. I want to see men and women saved. God, I'm, I'm pleading with your Holy Spirit that you would convict those of sin that need to be convicted and those that need to repent. Father, I pray that they would and that by the power of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would transform lives. You would transform hearts and consequently the lives would be transformed as well. Protect us, Father. Guard us from our own pride, our own arrogance, our own minds sometimes, Father. Protect us from the enemy who wishes to sift us out. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and help help us as we walk this week to glorify your name. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and I love you all.